Welcome to Reimagining Ceremonies, a podcast by Entheos. I'm Karen Dempsey. And I'm Fred Curtis, and we're here to start conversations about reimagining ceremonies. Hello, Karen. How are you? Hello, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to start that. Um, we're back for our second episode after our long extended break. Yeah. Um, and we kind of teased in the first episode what we're going to discuss. Uh, so this episode is being rele- released at a later date, but we were recently at the Queer Death Cafe, um, which was run by LGBT.ie, the Irish Hospice Foundation, and... And the All-Ireland Institute for Hospice and Palliative Care. Ta-da! <laughs> There's um, a lot of words in one string. With a special shout out to James O'Hagan, yeah. um, who... As you know, because we've mentioned many a times, has yes. been on the podcast. It's a great episode. We'll say it one more time. Go listen to the podcast. Yes, Queer Death Cafes with James O'Hagan. Yes. Uh, but we, I did message James after um, we went for a little tea and I messaged and I said, listen, we'd actually love to talk about our experience at the Queer Death Cafe. Is it okay if we bring that to the podcast? And he was like, absolutely Um of course, you can talk about your experience. I think we will, of course, try to be safe that we're not going to include anyone else's, yeah. um, you know, personal... We'll speak to our own experience. Speak to our own experience. Um, but maybe talking about some of the things that were brought up that then yeah. maybe related or resonated with us. So I suppose a good way to start is um, how did you feel showing up to the Queer Death Cafe? Did you have any expectations? Did you have any idea of what you're going to step into? Hmm. Um, Yes, I had an idea because I've attended death cafes before. Um, But the lovely thing is every time they're different. Mm -hmm. You can never say, oh, I've been to one, so I've been to them all. It's definitely not that. And I loved that this was in a queer space um, and was the Queer Death Cafe because... We don't speak about death enough in society at large, and even more so within the queer community. Death is not something that tends to come on the radar hugely. And um, and I mean, I'm speaking about that as a cishet woman observing from the outside, so I don't mean to speak into that. But based on what we're doing with Died with Pride and conversations that I've had, and yeah, um, yeah, I just was like, this is brilliant because we need we need this conversation on so many different levels, in so many different ways, and every conversation about death is valuable and needed. Mm-hmm. So when I came in, the first thing that I noticed was how lovely it was to not be kind of leading the discussion or yeah. um, or the meditation because we came in and there was a meditation to begin. And I was like, this is lovely. When they started that medica- medication, <laughs> I feel like maybe I do need medication. When they started the meditation, I was like, yes, this this is what I need right now. Um, well, I'll talk about how I showed up, but yeah. keep going. Um, yeah, so for me, it was that piece of, oh, I can be a recipient <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, and then as we began, and people began to speak and share, I mean, well, first of all, I have to say how blown away, I had a real moment of being blown away and a real moment of, oh, wow, because the first two people to speak spoke about Entheos and their experience of Entheos. You were one of those, Ferg. Yeah. Um, and oh, the other person I could probably say, but I won't because I haven't checked in with them first. Yeah. Um, but the other person, I had completely forgotten the extent of the connection that I'd had with them. And when I heard that through their eyes, I really went, oh, wow. It's so easy to forget how big and important the work is that we do in the world and that this organization is doing in the world because that experience was from before Entheos was formalized as an organization mm-hmm. and it's just such a lovely reminder that this organization did not spring out of nowhere yeah it's been growing and growing for many many years and gaining momentum um so as we came back from a meditation and we began the, sh- the sharing around the circle of introductions and that I was really blown away by the number of people who had already encountered Entheos within that space that mm-hmm. was amazing yeah and when we talk about creating community that's why yes that's what we're doing and the amount of people who were then like, I want to know more yeah. and kind of came up to you after and was like, yeah. how can I learn more? Yeah. And I you was know? like, oh God, I really need to have a little QR code or something yeah. that I can direct people. Um, I will. Very soon. That's already it's sitting in the sitting in the laptop. Um, 
but yeah, that piece was really lovely as well because people were really interested. And I was really yeah. conscious as well. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be here talking about Entheos. You know, this is a death cafe. Yes. But it was also nice to kind of walk that edge and go, okay, this, the organization is actually in the room as well. But I was able to, it was an invitation to have a little bit of space as well to actually just be me as a person who also navigates grief and loss and death and dying and a relationship with that. And sometimes I really surprise myself with my own relationship with death and dying. Because I'm like, why... Why am I so okay with being up close and personal with death? Um, and I often, I mean, I kind of anthropomorphize the, the Grim Reaper. We have this, this thing about the Grim Reaper in our society. And we all know the cartoon image of this black shadowy mm-hmm. creature with a big scythe. Um, and it's so scary. It represents fear yeah. and death and fear. <laughs> um, and I feel like I have a relationship with the Grim Reaper where... You know, I'm kind of like, oh, hi, <laughs> you're totally misunderstood, aren't you? And the Green Reaper's a bit like, I'm just mm-hmm. here, like, I just have a job. This is, um, And most people, I think, have this subconscious belief that if they stay far away from the Grim Reaper, yeah. that's somehow safer. Where I've realized mm-hmm. through life that actually you can walk alongside the Grim Reaper and, um, God, I'm being very metaphorical here, but you can walk alongside death or the Grim Reaper, or whatever. And be with people as they encounter death. And it doesn't make you any more likely or not likely to encounter mm-hmm. death yourself. We're all going to encounter it. Death is going to enter all of our lives, no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter how we go through our life, we will encounter death. Um, and there's something in the realization of that, for me, that makes me go... Yeah, so I might as well be on reasonable terms with death. And I still carry some superstition around it. You know, I still, I still think, oh, I don't want to poke <laughs> the Grim Reaper. Yeah. You know, um, I yes. still touch wood when I mention things like this. Um, I am grateful every day to wake up to the mundanity of life where I am not dealing with a death or a loss. I mean, I'm genuinely grateful every day when that is not front and center of my world. Um, and I think that's just the way that I approach life now is, yeah, it's, it's there, it's in the ether, it's, it's around. I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know who mm-hmm. it's going to come for. Um, it'll be, it could be me, it could be anybody else. And all you can ever do is live your life as you're living it. Yeah. Without big, you know, and I really don't believe in this thing of live your best life every day. Tell the people in your life that you love them every day. I don't, I think that's too much pressure and it makes your life unreal. That's not how we're meant to live our lives. Yeah. Um, it is important that if you have something important to say to people, yeah, that maybe you do say it at some point, but not every day. And certainly not to children. Children don't need to be brought face to face with their own mortality every day through a parent saying, I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Because sometimes you hear of people being very, I don't know what the word is, very, a bit, to me it's a little bit too much of that overt gratitude. I'm, I suppose I'm bringing that in based on something that I was reading on, on an internet post recently. And it was about a parent and child talking about how grateful they are to have each other in their lives. And I was like, I don't know that that's the place for the child. That's something for a parent to be grateful okay. for in their own self. But yeah, I'm probably yeah. going on a tangent here. I am, mm. as usual. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but that we can have grief and loss and longing in our lives without needing to, you know, overdo it every single day. Yeah. It's, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> that was a slippery slope to where have we landed <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good though. It was interesting because even as you were speaking, I was like, ah, yes, that kind of, because I feel like I showed up last night in a way, in a very opposite way to you, because you have worked with grief, in grief, in death, um, have experienced it a lot within your close family. Um, so I showed up And it was interesting because I'm going to change my wording around this. And I said it last night. I was like, I feel very lucky that I haven't experienced a huge amount of death in my life. And that's me (laughs) knocking the wood. And the death I have experienced, I could, I suppose, mm, with my granddad passing away, it was very difficult. It was very new because I hadn't experienced um, someone who would have been so present throughout my whole life 
moving on. But it was understandable. I could understand it and I could see it was time. And, but I did learn how to be like, okay, this is grief. What the bleep do you do with this? Mm. You know, but it was, I I knew it was going to come, you know? So, and then other than that, there hasn't been a huge amount, a huge amount of death in my life. And same with that. I have thought about death before in different guises, but I haven't thought about what that means after. Mm. Or like what, let's say when I move on, what happens here with the people who know and love me and how they'll celebrate me. Um, And then that opens up the question of, if people from my life move on, how can they be celebrated? How do they want to be celebrated? And actually by opening up the conversations with yourself and with people. So they had these, they had, what are the packs called? Um, Thinking ahead. Thinking ahead, where you kind of write down your wishes and your wants and your hopes for when you pass on of how you would like to be remembered. And I suppose... That could be very morbid to bring that to people and be like, what do you think? Would you fill this out? But actually, I think it can really enhance how you live. Yeah. You know, and the more we've had conversations around death on this podcast in life and me thinking about my role as a celebrant in the future in the arena of death and funerals the more you as you say walk alongside it the more it encourages you to live more fuller um i hope james doesn't mind me saying this he said something last night that he wants to live his life so and i'm paraphrasing fully as himself from now right up to let's say the celebration of his life when he does pass on um and i was like oh yeah, we all actually have, we can all make that decision now. You know, we can all say, well, let me live fully and truly as myself. Obviously, I know that's not as easy. I'm totally aware of that. (laughs) Um, But it was really nice to hear that and go, in a conversation about death, someone is saying, I want to live fully. Yeah. And I think for me, showing up last night, I didn't know what to expect I walked into the room and I was like I don't even know I you know the meditation was very welcomed in my life (laughs) I was like oh yes I'd love to sit and breathe for a couple of minutes um but I didn't really know what to expect and I didn't engage a lot last night because I actually it gave me the moment to pause and from listening to some of the other people speaking it kind of I keep saying it's like a little pin that was prodding parts of myself that I was like oh yeah okay I do want to sit and think about that okay yeah I do want to live like that okay I do want to think about that I do want to put more effort and energy into these parts of my life so for me I didn't know what to expect but I definitely didn't expect to walk away and be like god I have so many questions and focuses on how I want to live from a conversation about death. Yeah. And that, and what I also noticed about last night, there was so much laughter in the room. Yeah. There was so much laughter and joy and so many different types of personalities from, I'm presuming different backgrounds. We didn't really go into where we came from and stuff. People shared maybe their careers Mm -hmm. um, or a little bit about themselves personally. But you know, very different people. And I said it to you last night, I'm so amazed by Dublin, which I consider so small. And you always go out and you always bump into someone. And then you walk into a room and I was like, I don't know 95% of this room. And that's amazing. I love that. I'm like, I I love that there's so many people still to meet. Um, But it was kind, it was that community vibe again and all these 
people sitting in the room and the thing we kept touching on, a lot of people kept touching on, was the intergenerational um, energy of the room and the different, like there was older people, middle-aged people, uh, younger people. Um, It was so diverse and that even further opened up conversations. And what I liked at first I don't know if this was conscious, but I felt like people were being very respectful and I'm this and blah, blah, blah. And then by the end, there was a bit of humor in, well, I'm, yeah. you know, this age and I, you know, and it, there was a bit of humor in that. And actually, I like that. I like when people play into the humor of like, well, I'm young and, yeah. you know, and and I don't know. It's, it's funny. Um, <laughs> but it was a really lethargic experience, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I just... And I'm really looking forward to the next one. I think we might have something similar. I think that would be really important Mm. in the work that we do, both for us as celebrants in how we may have to show up in that space, but also I think what you were saying last night, was it last night? about the kind of chaplain side of things. Yeah. And I love the sound of exploring that side of work. Yeah. You know, I think that that's really important within Entheus. Yeah, because a lot of what we're doing is chaplaincy work without the formal title of it. Yeah. Um, like we go and visit people who are dying and we talk about their funeral and we talk about what what's going on for them and what they're anticipating and what they hope for and mm. what they definitely don't want. Um, what mean, do you want? What do I want? Yeah, when you, when you, I suppose this is probably, it wasn't one, wasn't really what we, one of the conversations we had last night, but they had these, um, oh, yeah. big pieces of paper, which we missed because we were a little bit late. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> and they were like, what are your fears about death? What music do you want played, um, yeah. at your funeral? Um, how do you want to spend your last few days? And I kind of like, I was sitting directly in the eye, what's that? The eye view of eye those, line, yeah. the eye line, there you go, of those um, uh, posters, I suppose. And I was like, oh, they're interesting questions. So mm. let me ask you those <laughs> questions. How do <laughs> Death Cafe Live. Mm. <laughs> um, it's funny because for somebody who works in this realm. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of instructions really for when I die. One thing that interests me a lot is um, the use of the word celebration of life, because you've used that quite a bit. I don't really feel an attachment to the term celebration of life. I don't really feel like people need to celebrate my life. Well, you know, what I mean by that is, in a way, (laughs) like that's a lot of pressure to put on people. What um, I wonder what bit would people celebrate? Like what bit do they see? Because... One of the things that I see when I hold people's funerals is there's so many different dimensions of a person yeah. and their family. Firstly, will only probably know some of those dimensions, but also each person in the family knows a different dimension. There's yeah. so many layers. Um, so with celebration of life, I think sometimes people love their person so much that they want to give the best possible celebration, say. And maybe it's just not possible. So in a way, funeral for me feels more resonant because I just want people to be able to grieve and go, we're really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and ding dong, she's dead. I know, but I'm <laughs> ding <laughs> no, dong, but the witch um, is dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's awful. My mother bought me a thing once that said um, "the witch is in" from my window. Uh, and I actually really like that. Um, or whatever people are going to say, you know, that that my funeral is a space to say I'm dead, I'm gone. You know, I'm not here anymore. I'm not going to be in their lives anymore in a physical way. Um, so I don't really feel like they need to go and, and, you know, here's a celebration of all the things she did in the world. Because I would hope that the people who show up for my funeral, by the very fact that they're there, will show what I did in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that I would like the Kirsty McCall song, Thank You For The Days. Okay. I love that song. It's just Thank You For The Days. Um, those endless days, those, those fateful days, all, the, mm-hmm. all that. Because that's all it is. I do want to say thank you for the days to everybody that was a part of my life. Um, and uh, and I always talk about the mundanity of it, particularly the people that were part of the mund- mundanity of mm. life. Um, 
I would like a very simple coffin. Not even a wicker coffin because they're expensive. They're expensive. And I want to say that with the caveat of because they're handmade and some beautiful work goes into them. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're buried, a wicker coffin is beautiful. I think I would prefer to be cremated um, because I don't really want the burden of people going, feeling like they need to visit a grave or feeling mm -hmm. like I'm anchored in a place even when I'm gone. You know, liberate yourselves. <laughs> I'm physically gone from the world, so let me be physically gone from the world. Um, and I will be wherever people want me to be. Um, so a very simple coffin. Don't, oh, sorry, very simple coffin. If, if you're putting me somewhere, whatever, but a very simple coffin to be cremated in. Yeah, you're not going to put me straight in the fire. <laughs> um, very, very simple, whatever it is. Um, and I mean, beyond that, I mean, who's going to hold my funeral? You happen to be sitting in front of me there, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? I know there's so be. many people who can go for it. You're welcome. Have my, you can be my celebrant if you want to be at the time, but no pressure because what I ever want. To God, be, that's like, it's a bit mad, isn't it? You're the second person to say that to me. <laughs> oh, no. you make me feel so special for it. <laughs> 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 but it is a mad thing when it someone is, says, yeah. you know, but It'll actually I'm kind of used to it because a lot of people say to me, I want you to sing that song at my funeral. Yeah. And I'm always like, that's yeah, it's a, a compliment it's a wrapped up yeah. in a very heavy situation. Yeah. And, and but that's thank why you. I think, that's a real honor. Well, you're very welcome. And you don't even have to say that because I didn't put you on the spot. By saying that. But I think, I mean, because it's true as well. When you are in this role, a lot of people will say that to you. I want you to do my funeral if you're around. And it's, when we talk about death, the principle of non-attachment is one that I think is really important to hold close. And it's one okay. that I work with all the time. You have to hold the principle of non-attachment close. Um, because we all have to be able to be present with what's in our lives, love it as much as we possibly can, and know that no matter how hard we clutch it, it's not ever ours for, to keep. And that's a really difficult concept, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to your own children or the people that you love. But we, I mean, we can, that's all we can ever do is hold it all close while we have it. Mary Oliver has a beautiful quote where she says, um, to love what is mortal, no, it's to, to oh my God, what's the first, op the opening of it is something like to live a full life or whatever, you must do three things. You must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it close knowing that your very life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, you let it go. Mm, that's beautiful. It's, I mean, that's, I, I've mixed up some of the words there, but that's the essence of it is you have to be able to hold it close to your bones, knowing that your own life depends on it and still know that the time may come when you have to release it. And that's the great tragedy and beauty of human life is that nothing is permanent. Mm -hmm. And we like to trick ourselves into believing that things are permanent. And they're not. And that's a very difficult lesson to learn. And that's what complicates grief for people sometimes as well. Um, is the shock at it and the unfairness of it and the mm -hmm. utter devastation of how can I go on? How can my life go on now without this yeah. person, place, thing in it that was always there? Because grief touches us in all sorts of ways. It's not just about a person dying. We have grief present in our lives in so many different ways, but we don't tend to recognize it as grief. Yeah. Um, it comes in as, you know, this vague sense of unease, this existential unrest, <laughs> um, chronic busyness, fatigue, depressions, all different ways that grief is somehow held out of our consciousness. And I think there's a lot to be said about how we live life in the modern world as well, that we're told that that's where grief belongs. We're told that grief belongs out of our awareness. And if grief is creeping in, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's not a very healthy way, I think, of, of it's not a very healthy worldview. Because if you can be present with your own grief, you can be more real to what's happening in the moment. Yeah. And in order to recognize grief, we need to be familiar with it. And that's where we need to help our children um, and the children of the world, whoever they are. They're all ours. Um, we need to help children by normalizing it somehow and incorporating into the world. And I mean, sometimes you'll see people. I'm so interested all the time in the conversations that happen online. And sometimes you'll see people online saying things like, my neighbor's father died. My child wants to go to the funeral, but I don't know if it's appropriate. Um, and I think the very fact that we're asking these questions is a sign that we are moving away. We're losing touch with death and grief and loss. 
Because the answer to that question, I would say, is first of all, how does your child feel about it? Front and centre, you know, does the child consent or does the child want to go? If the child wants to go, show up. Go and show up because culturally, um, within this country, we have a culture of showing up for death that when a person dies, that the family does look out at the crowd gathered at the funeral and say, wow, look at the crowd. This is a reflection somehow of the calibre of the life that that person lives. And I say that with the caveat of knowing that some people look at it and it's a small funeral. That's not, I don't mean to, that, that's a literal thing. But showing up is really important in the funeral space um, for people. And, and if people don't want people to show up, they will usually say on the death notice, family only, house yeah. is family only, church is family only, you know, they'll put it out there somehow. And if that's not written there, show up. It's better to show up yeah. and go, oh, whoops, maybe I'll slink away I don't feel right here, than to not show up at all and then realise that nobody showed up. Mm. And I have had that even in, you know, even with friends and things like that where, where people have said, like, I will always show up if I can. And I, that's part of the fact that this is part of my life's work now, I realise, is working in the realms of death. But I've always been a person who will show up to a funeral when I can because I physically want to add bulk to the crowd. In lots, some, like, sometimes it's as simple as that. It's not that I know the person very well but I want to show up and represent the impact that they had on my life, whether that's a ripple secondhand or thirdhand. Um, and sometimes people will say afterwards, oh, I didn't realise they wanted us to show up. Like people don't consciously say, I want that person to show up at my father's funeral. It's the way funerals work, that you yeah. go. You don't wait to be asked. You don't second guess yourself and think about it. You just show up somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, I really, really firmly believe that we need to stop this concept that people that bereaved people are made of glass that bereaved people somehow need to be treated with kid gloves and you know don't trouble them unless you've got some really profound reason to be engaging with them they're still the person that they were yesterday they are they've been changed yes they've been through an initiation they've been through the grief and loss of what they've just experienced but they're still the same person yeah they're still your neighbor they're still your friend they're still your work colleague and i mean i think grief in the workplace is something that really needs a lot more attention because we have a tendency to go, oh, somebody's bereaved and they come back to work, avoid them until, you know, they're kind of back mm -hmm. to normal. That happens in workplaces. Um, we're actually being able to look at a person, greet them. I mean, I sometimes I might say look them in the eye. Not everybody wants to be looked in the eye. I mean, you don't mean staring, staring a person down. But see them, welcome them back, yeah. acknowledge they've been through a transition, they've crossed a threshold, and they're still here. Yeah. And they are still here. So... They need to also be kind of loved back into themselves somehow too and reminded that they're still here and that they are still themselves. And yeah. They may feel like they've had a complete out-of-body experience through what they've been through, but they are still here. They're still in this world. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think all these conversations that we can have around death and dying help us to bring that more consciously into the world without it being something that floats around in the ether until it... And I'm going to use the word like until it comes for us or until like, oh my mm -hmm. goodness, here it is. Death has come, you know, it's on my doorstep now. And when that happens, then the other people who have been through that too will see you and witness you in a way that others may not. But as a community, it's the responsibility of all of us to witness yeah. a person as they engage with their grief and to not shy away from it and to not encroach on that person either. But, um, but yeah, to be there. Well, it goes back to everyone is so individual with how they are in the world yeah that everyone is individual in their grief and actually the only way we can know how to show up is to ask people you yeah. know like I, I do agree with you just yeah show up be present and leave if you're like this isn't right yeah um is better than not or attending. leave your sandwiches on the doorstep and go you know you yeah, yeah. you don't have to be like front yeah but equally space. just like that thing of showing up and work and kind of being like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, avoid them. Or just even going, if you need anything, let me know. If you want yeah. me to give you space, that's totally fine. But yeah. just know I'm also here. Um, I think that was when my, I always found awkward at funerals is, you know, when you go up to the family. And I felt all you can say is, sorry for your loss. Yeah. And I always was like, oh, that's not. That doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. That doesn't feel like you're saying enough. And then when my 
grand had died and people come up and they'd be like, I'm really sorry for your loss. I was like, oh my God, it's more than enough. Yeah. Because it's not those words. Yeah. It's them standing in front yes. of you and you going, oh, okay. It's yeah. And it doesn't matter what they say, whether, you know, they're just like, I'm really sorry. It can be so simple, but it's yeah. just the fact that they're there, they've showed up. And sometimes you don't have the capacity to actually have a conversation. So them saying something simple and you saying thank yeah. you is more than it, enough. It frees you from the the need to engage. Yeah. But also it's beautiful what you've just said there because that is so important. And this, that's actually really, you've gotten right into the nub of what I'm getting at. When you show up and you are just, you feel like, oh, what's the point of me being just one more person? The poor things have been standing there for an hour and a half shaking hands. I mean, that's long and it is draining. But each person that shakes the hand of a bereaved person and says, I'm sorry for your loss, that mantra, it's a mantra that's continued and mm. it helps the person ground into their psyche that this person is gone. They're yeah. gone, they're gone, they're gone. Because it can be very, very hard to believe what has just happened, that yeah. the person is actually gone from your life. And that's somehow, that's, a, that's an engagement psyche to psyche that the person showing up understands that they're showing up as part of a community to help the grieving process. And the person who's receiving the handshake, the sorry for your loss, gets it pressed into their bones that this person is gone. Yeah. And we, our, our Celtic traditions are so ancient and so powerful without us even knowing how or why. Yeah. That this is just how we've done it. Um, and we would have had, you know, the, the wake tradition is one that I am really passionate about keeping alive and it will only stay alive as long as we continue to show up. Yeah. If we slip into this modern mindset of it's not my business, I shouldn't be there, it's not my place, I didn't know them personally, we will lose that tradition. It's gone. Because it, it lives in the space of that communal expression of they're gone, they're gone, they're gone. Um, and then that's echoed on. that. It's kind of, because we do funerals so quickly as well in Ireland, like within 42 to 48 to 72 hours, we will have a funeral. That's very fast for families. Mm -hmm. But because we combine it with that tradition, we amplify the grieving that's done or the, re, the processing of this loss that's done in that short space of time. And it's then in the aftermath that people have the unwinding mm -hmm. and they need the love and the support and the showing up of their community so that they have food and so that they have tea and so that they are somehow held until the month's mind. And yeah. these are the traditions that as we move away from a more church-led society where we had the, I'm going to say it's the absolutely wrong word, but we had somehow the luxury of it's all, the system is there, the framework is there for our funerals because yeah. it was held and owned and colonized by the church. Um, as we move away from that tradition, that's why organizations like Entheos and like our celebrants are a part of translating those ancient traditions back into something that is, that is done and held and familiar in our society now. Yeah. Um, so we can never underestimate the power of what we're doing through the ceremonies that we're holding because very often now we don't have the tradition of the removal from the, night, from the church the night before where that handshaking would be done. But that is done outside of the chapel when we hold, um, say, a service in the crematorium or at a burial. The hugs, the handshakes all still need to happen because the people that have shown up for that ceremony will feel compelled to engage with the family members that are there and, and that is to be encouraged and held and minded. And if at all possible, I say, bring your person home. Have the coffin in the house. Um, let people come. Let mm -hmm. people tell their stories. But for a family as well, it can be extremely daunting because they're thinking, I don't want everybody to infringe on my grief. I don't really want people to cross my threshold. And the fact that we have the choices now sometimes makes it that bit trickier. Um, because back in the day when it was just, it's just what you do, you open the door and everybody comes in. But... I mean, and I, I've said before as well, I'm really with the piece of somebody dies in, in your house and you want to have a wake there. The funeral, you've got like 48 hours and your house is an absolute tip. It's upside down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this is my fear. Be like, how do you, how would I clean my house quick enough to have a wake in it? You know, how would I, <laughs> like that's, there you go. There's an insight into my upside down house. Um, but these are practical things, you know, we yeah. can kind of, when we're not thinking about it in real life, we can think, oh, you just open the doors and everybody comes into your house. But like, you need to have the cups. You need to have, somebody needs to know where there's a Burko boiler. Like, it's a real thing, I think. Yeah. Somebody in the community will have a Burko boiler. 
and that's the funeral burka. That's a burka boiler. Oh my goodness, burka! The burka boiler. We have one in there in. in oh City yes, 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 We yes, have yes, one yes, in City yes. Sanctuary if anybody ever needs to borrow it for a week. Um, but it's the big urn that holds the yes, water, the yes, boiling water. I know. It. So when you're making tea from a kettle. You have to repeatedly, repeatedly plug in the kettle and, and do it where if you have something big like that, it's great when there's yeah. lots of people. Um, but all these, like, these are practical considerations that people need support with. So even if you're thinking, oh, there's nothing I can do, there is. Yeah. Bring them a, bring them a load of cups, tea bags, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Um, oh God, we're totally down a rabbit hole again. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But, but this is the reality of it. These are the, this is the quality of what needs to be thought of for a bereaved family. Um, they need chairs, they need cups yeah. if they're going to have awake in their house. And especially in the city, because in rural communities, this infrastructure tends to exist in a different way. Yeah. In a city, it doesn't tend to exist in the same way, so it needs to be created. Um, and, I mean, it's something that I would love to do, and maybe we will do it in the future, is to have, I mean, we have a worker boiler there, we have loads of cups, mm. so maybe we will create a wake pack um, yeah. that families can have access to if they need it. Um and we throw in a celebrant. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's these simple things, I think, that get a bit lost. Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite conversations. Favorite conversations, that doesn't feel right. But one of the conversations I really um, enjoyed kind of listening to was the weight conversation at the mm. Queer Death Cafe um, and the want for it. Yeah. And a lot of these things are tied to certain... Um, faith paths yeah and actually I loved hearing you speaking there about like them being ancient traditions and how important they are and yeah how like important they are in the healing and the grieving process yeah. um and I did like hearing I think most people at the cafe that we were at were kind of like no I like awake that I yeah. like showing up to that I want that to still be you know, within kind of my grieving process or when you pass on that awake is something that's something maybe we can put in the thinking ahead pack. Yeah. I would like awake. Yeah. And I mean, you asked me, you started off by asking me what I actually want. I skipped that bit. Yeah. For my actual ceremony, I'd like, thank you for the days. There you go. And whatever else. Um, but I would, I think awake is important. And I just think bring the music, mm-hmm. sing the songs, tell the stories, eat, drink, be merry. It does um, sound so Irish. Yeah. And wonderfully Irish. Sit around Irish. my coffin. I don't know, will it be an open coffin? Will it be a closed coffin? I hope it'll be an open coffin because that suggests a peaceful death where mm-hmm. I look at rest. Um, but I mean, even if it's a closed coffin, bring the coffin home. Be around it. Be with it. Um, we are much better at doing that now with babies as well. You know, there's, it can slip into a whole realm there and trigger warning apology. I should have said that before I even said that. But... Um, bringing a baby home is a really beautiful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and families are being much more supported in that now because a few years ago, it used to be a case that don't, you know, don't, you know, it would be minimized and kind of, um, yeah, families wouldn't necessarily be encouraged to bring the baby home, but now they are and there's all sorts of infrastructures in place yeah. to help them do that and support them to do that. And it is so, so important because all of these things help the body and soul to understand that this has happened. Yeah. It's so hard to understand and realize the enormity of what has happened when somebody dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the mundanity of it sometimes as well, when it is somebody who's very, very elderly and has been anticipating their own death and is, is glad, we know is glad to die. I mean, we yeah. get that as yeah. well. And I think we all hope to be that person somehow yeah. um, ready for death. Um, although, yeah. It was interesting to hear people say they're not afraid of death Mm. because like it's definitely something I feel as we have more of these conversations, it's actually something I need to reflect on more myself because I don't even, I don't know if I am afraid of death. I Mm. I haven't asked myself that. But when I hear that, I am like, why wouldn't you be afraid of death? Mm. Like, why wouldn't you be afraid of moving on or leaving the world? And I am quite fascinated by the people who are in the headspace of, I'm not afraid of death. Like, mm. if I know what's going to happen. Like, and again, I see that as such a peaceful place to be. 
Whereas mm. maybe a few years ago, I would have been like, that's really sad that they think like well, that. Well, I think a, an important piece of that is, I think when people talk about being afraid of death, I think very often what we're afraid of is grief. Um, mm, okay, yeah. Because, and yes, some people are afraid of death and dying and they're, you know, what comes next. There's that whole piece. I know for me personally, I would be more afraid of grief than death because my death is my death. I'm going to die. But I can't anticipate how I will be with the various potential griefs yeah. that could arise in my life. Um, so I think sometimes that differentiation can kind of help. Um, because we're going down a whole road here, but like what I envisage if I'm thinking about my own death and the process of me dying, I think one thing that I would fear would be a sense of, oh my God, I'm going to die and I'm not ready. That's, mm-hmm. I, and I think that would always be, especially from a parental perspective, it would always be to do with my children. Yeah. That would be the one thing that would make me think, oh God, I'm not ready. And I don't say God as in I'm invoking an actual God. I just say that as a turn of phrase. Yeah. Um, but, and I don't know, will that ever go? I mean, I don't know. I don't know it doesn't matter what age you are, because then there'll be grandchildren and there'll be, hopefully, yeah, exactly. hopefully I get to see all those generations. But then maybe you do get exhausted. <laughs> You're like, right, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. We both already said that we're going we're gonna to go for 104. 104. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be 10 years gone. When you hit yeah. 104. So I'll be saying your funeral at 94. When you be 94? Oh, fair. Now you're unbooked. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how I'll be showing up at our funeral. Um, <laughs> yeah, 104. Yeah, I, I like the idea of being 104. Because I think once you get to 104, you can go, actually, I can't really expect to hang around much longer. And I think that's what I like about that age. Yeah, but I think the big thing for me is 104 is a long time away. Yeah. But equally, time passes so quickly that these conversations really, I think this is what I got last night that I couldn't articulate because we got put in smaller groups, not put in smaller, we were <laughs> welcomed into smaller groups to discuss kind of certain topics. Um, and the last one was like, kind of like, where are you at? Like, how do you feel? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I feel not overwhelmed, but a similar feeling to overwhelmed. And I actually think today I'm realizing what I was feeling was like, God, I need to live so much more fully. And I'm really grateful for the conversations around death and even listening to some of the older people, older than me, in the death cafe and feeling their wisdom, their knowledge and their groundness around this topic, I feel like they've really explored this topic and it's only enhanced their life. Mm, yeah. So I th- I'm i I'm feeling grateful. I'm like an Instagram post to you now. <laughs> um, I'm, I don't know if we said that in this episode, but or it could have been the last episode about being grateful. Um, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, I'm feeling grateful to actually be in this space and have an opportunity to go further into this conversation around death and to yeah experience grief and hopefully support people in their own grief and continue to kind of grow because I think that will bring will elevate not the right word but will enhance Mm. how you live and that's quite exciting yeah you know and that it that does give you that kind of feeling of like what are you waiting for like, you know, Fergie, you've only yeah, got till yeah, 104. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember being a student nurse. So it would have been like 1995, 1996. And I was 17 or 18. I was young. And somebody asked for the death cert book. And I brought the death cert book to the bedside. And I remember opening it up. And it's such a mundane book. Now, this was before internet. <laughs> this is back in the, the olden days. Um, so this is a, this kind of book with the carbon copies in it and that and on it there was a space that said name date of birth date of death time of death cause of death and I remember sitting there at that age going oh someday somebody's gonna fill this in for me Mm. in a Monday it'll be a mundane job for them they won't know who I am they won't know anything about me They'll, they'll really just know the date and time that I die and the cause of my death. And I will never know that. 
Yeah. And I had this massive existential moment sitting in this chair of this ward with surgical A in Blanchardstown Hospital. <laughs> um, but I remember, and maybe that was part of my initiation into the, but it wasn't. I was always interested in death and curious about death. But in that moment, I went, I don't know what that date's going to be. So get busy living or get busy dying basically is, I mean, I, I like that expression. I don't know whoever said it first. I better check it out. But, um, but yeah, like get on with it. And God, did I take that literally because I have every corner that I've seen, I'm interested in that. I've followed it and gone, oh yeah, <laughs> I've pursued all the various paths. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, as we sat down today, just to even mention it briefly, um, the great loss that our country has experienced and the world has experienced in the loss of Sinead O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm conscious of the time, so we don't want to stay too long on this, but I want to kind of name it because I don't know when we get to come back to it in the yeah. future. Yeah. Um, and the surprise that so many people are experiencing at the depth of the grief that they're feeling at the loss of Sinead O'Connor. And I think a big part of it is that she has existed in our world in so many, like in such big and loud ways yeah. and also in such subtle periphery ways in more recent years but she was there and for most of us she wasn't a part of our physical everyday lives so it feels strange then when you feel the absence of somebody who's gone who wasn't actually physically part of your world yeah um and she was such a phenomenal teacher of all of these esoteric concepts of what a faith path means what a belief means what drives us forward as people in the world um what death means, what, you know, she was very open to having these conversations and she was incredibly frank about what she would say. And from a very young age, she had processed some of life's greatest questions to a really eloquent degree that she could actually share it with the world. And from a lot of that, the world just was not ready yet because she was always a good two decades ahead of everybody else. Um, so now that she's gone, I mean, we, we can look back. I mean, I often say as well, a lot of life doesn't make sense until you look at it in hindsight. Like, as you're going forward through it, it doesn't really make sense. And for a lot of people, I think Sinead O'Connor's existence in the world and in our, in our media and in, on our screens didn't really make sense because she, seemed, she came across as being sometimes chaotic or unpredictable or she, she wore her mental health issues on her sleeve. She showed us our, her heart. She shared her inner world with us in a way that very few people do. And people couldn't really make sense of that. And now that she's gone and we're looking back at her life in a chronological order and we're looking at the timeline of what she said and did versus how long it took for the world to catch up with her. Mm -hmm. Now we can see her and hold her and honor her and appreciate her infinitely more than she was held and loved and appreciated in her life, even though she was seen by so many people and appreciated in her life. I'm not minimizing that at all. Um, but there's some, there was a shift in our national psyche, I think, when, when Sinead O'Connor died because she was just such a voice for our country mm. when it came to colonization, spiritual and literal. Listen to her lyrics and it's all there. So yeah. I think I, I wanted to put in a little comment and tribute to Sinead O'Connor into this podcast because I've written on social media as well about the massive inspiration she was to me in setting up Entheos, and yeah. in realizing there is a need for this. The people that are, exist in the world outside of traditional faith paths that are still seeking meaning and understanding and, and all of this without needing a deity and without needing a middle person, middleman. I might as well say middleman because it's always literally is men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, without needing a, yeah, an intermediary, maybe is the word, between us and what we might believe about the world. She absolutely explored all the avenues that she felt called towards. She told us all about her explanations. She told us why. She, she walked alongside these faith paths, but she remained essentially outside of the faith paths in a lot of ways because she didn't accept the rules. Yeah. Um, and eventually she did find a soul home in Islam when she converted to be a Muslim and uh, Shudaha Sadakat was the name that she took, but she remained Sinead O'Connor in her stage name and you know her public persona name. Um, but that seems to be where she found peace. Mm. So does it matter what form it takes if a person finds peace in their life? Yeah. To me, that's, that's a great gift um, of seeking. 
that's so we all find true. it in different ways and hopefully we find it somewhere and somehow but um yeah, these are all big existential questions to keep asking big questions that was really beautiful um what you said about Sinead O'Connor and nice to kind of because it was such a big moment mm. um, for a lot of people nice to kind of have an, a nod to it here in an episode about grief um, but yeah I think I think that these conversations probably aren't similar to what was said when we attended the death cafes these conversations need more space they need more yeah. time yeah. you know they're not over Um so it's probably something we might come back to and explore, maybe explore with a guest, yes. you know, with with someone. Um, but I think we'll wrap it up there. Yes, I think that's a good idea. Um, yeah, it feels it feels right to. Um, but thank you very much. Thank you, Ferg. You're in a lovely reflective zone. Yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> I feel like I need. I feel like when I'm going to go clean all this up now. Yeah, and I think for for anybody listening as well, actually, if you've listened all the way through that, I think it's important to name that we have been in a quite a liminal space. Yeah, this conversation has kind of taken place in some liminal space where it's been a little bit in between worlds. So it might be a thing that you need to take a breather, take your take a moment, get a cup of tea, sit down, feel something warm, feel your connection to the ground, feel yourself into your body, get behind your eyes (laughs) and just really Focus, bring your attention to your own embodiment that you are in the world, you are alive. Feel your heart beating, feel the breath coming in and out. Because sometimes we need to do that and remind ourselves that we are physical bodies. We are animal bodies. And Mary Oliver, to close on a Mary Oliver quote, she has another beautiful one where she says, You do not have to crawl on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only need to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. I think we'll leave it there. Lots of love, everybody. Mm